0: Hallelujah. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Well, I don't know how many of you are in expectation, but I am. And someone said that expectation is a fertile soil for God to do miracles. If you have no sense of expectation, then you're going to get one today. (laughs) It probably means you're a natural... Depression, (laughs) the definition of, uh, the best definition of depression is hopelessness, less hope. So in treating people with depression, if you're able to return the hope to them, they come out of depression. See that light at the end of the tunnel. And so uh, we're glad, honored to be here. Thank you, Apostle um, Victor and um, Pastor Gwendolyn. I haven't seen her in a little while, so it was great to see her worshiping and leading. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Greetings to the entire family and blessings to the house. Amen? Amen. Uh, Some of those songs reminded me of of some of the songs we used to sing together um, back in the 90s, right? Oh, good. (laughs) Well, some of them were good. (laughs) I remember and it took me back. So when we kind of met um, some of those songs, not all, but just a few of them, remind me of them. So I thank God for the worship. I always like to encourage the worshipers. We're all worshipers, right? Because God is not looking for anything else other than people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. But it is true that God has given special gifts. And so those who use their gifts, I like to honor them and bless them. So the keyboard player and the drummers and the singers and the leaders and and everyone who does sound and media and everything else, um, and in the future, the dance ministry who's going to be here, um, that God is going to raise up. Amen. I said yesterday that you must create your own environment and your own atmosphere, and um, what a better place or a way to do it than to create images and pictures in people's minds. If you think about it, when you're connected to God, it's like if God would pass some commercials, you know, those infomercials, so something like that, but it's God speaking to you. So when you see something in your mind, in your brain that comes to you, don't disconnect from that because it's, if you have God in your heart, it's God speaking to you. And he wants to take you to a place where the Bible says that he's told the prophet, um, both the, the prophet Isaiah as well as the apostle Paul have said the same thing. Things that ears, ears have not heard, eyes have not seen and have not come into the heart and the mind of man are the things that God has prepared for us. Yeah. So if you're depressed and you want to speak negatively and you're always complaining, I have to tell you, today's not your day. And it's not the, your day to continue doing that. It is your day for you to change. Yes. Amen? Because I like to hang around and I like to speak to people that no matter what they're going through, they know that tomorrow is a better day. Amen? So thank you for inviting us. Thank you for having us. I, send, I bring greetings from the PAC Center and a beautiful a team of ministers, leaders, pastors. Also, a covenant of, um, we have a covenant of group of churches a, um, a network of churches, and we're called the Christian Centers, and we're in Florida, in Puerto Rico, in Honduras, in Panama. We started now a church in Cuba, and um, this week we started a church in Reading, Pennsylvania. So, um, so the churches in New Jersey, we, we bring greetings in Jesus' name, amen? Um, I want to speak to you about um, a simple topic, and it's a very known, well-known scripture, so if you could go to Mark ten verse forty six to fifty two we're going to be looking at the scriptures there, and I want to title it "Do not miss your moment. Do not miss your moment. If we were to make it positive a positive spin to it, take advantage of your moment right So do not is uh, an awareness, a precaution, a, a red flag. be careful. obviously, a um, more, more positive spin would be. Um, take advantage of the moment. I believe that if you're here, this is a time of God. I believe that if you're here, God is going to speak to you. I believe that if you're here, because God woke you up this morning, and you're alive, and you could have been doing on on the 26th of June, on a Sunday morning, a beautiful day outside, a hundred things. However, you chose the better part, which is to come to the house of the Lord, take care of the one that deserves all honor and all glory first, and he'll take care of you first. Amen? Um, before we go into that scripture, um, there, was a, there was a woman that was hearing the radio. And in that radio um, program, all of a sudden, they were calling in for people um, who had a lot of needs and who needed food and groceries. And as she, um, she said, hmm, I'm, I'm so needy. I need to call in, so she called in to this radio station, and she said, this is my name, and this is my address, and I really need some groceries, so the people in the radio station said, okay, we'll see what we can do. We're going to pray over you, etc." but there was a, a witchcraft person who was hearing that, and that person said, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do a trick on this woman, and I'm going to send some groceries. So this person got some groceries together, sent them over to the lady's house, and as she got them, they knocked on the door, she received them, um, and, and the messengers were waiting, waiting to see if, uh, if she would ask, so who sent them? And, um, and it happened that she took the groceries, and uh, she, she was about to close the door when they said, hey, lady, do you really want to know who sent the groceries? And she said, No, I really don't know. I'm just thankful to God because I know that when I pray to God and I listen to him and I follow his instructions, even the devil will obey God's orders. (laughs) Oh, I don't know about you, but there's something in the supernatural in this house. There's an atmosphere in this house. And I sense that something is about to happen. And even those who were your enemies, God will use them for your time of promotion. Hallelujah. Can somebody say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Can somebody say hallelujah? Look at um, Mark chapter 10. And if you could look just at uh, some of the verses there, verse 46. Now they came to Jericho as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. So, so far, you have some people, Jesus and some people in a company, leaving Jericho. Tell your neighbor, I'm about to leave Jericho. (laughs) And as they were going there, there's a multitude. And they find someone by the name of Barty. Barty is on the roadside. And he's sitting there. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry and say, cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy of me. Tell your neighbor, if you're desperate, you're willing to do anything. Today, I want to speak to desperate people. I want to speak to people who want more. I want to provoke in people That which, that longing which the Holy Spirit already planted in you, but needs to be activated, needs to be motivated, needs to be watered, needs to be rekindled. If you're gonna seize the promise, you must be alive, awake, and willing to cry out to God. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. Then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Mm, if Jesus would only call you. You think today's the day that he calls you? Then they called the blind man saying to him, be of good cheer, rise. He is calling you and throwing aside his garment, He rose and came to Jesus Maybe today is the day you're about to throw away your garment. And I'm not speaking about a physical, literal garment. I'm speaking about something else that the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you about. So Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? So if he came here today, what would you respond? What do you want me for me? What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni. It means teacher, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, and immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Hallelujah. Have you ever asked yourself the following? If you had a choice and had to lose one of your senses, which one would that be? Because I think that based on what I've heard, I've researched, and thought about myself, I don't want to lose my eyesight. I definitely do not want to lose my hearing. My hearing is connected to my speaking. I do not want to lose my touch. But if I had to lose something, maybe it would be my taste. Because out of all all of the senses, maybe... Taste is something that's more for pleasure, but I can still eat something. But when you don't have your sight, that is major. It creates in you a sense of disorganization, a sense of failure, a sense of rejection, a sense of why me? And so this man, the Bible says that this man, and it's interesting because it gives his name. And when the Bible gives the name of a person, it's usually because it's important. Because in the name and in the meaning of the name, there's something that you need to pull out. He was bar males, the son. Bar means the son of Timaeus, And Timaeus was someone who was politically recognized. And for you to be someone who's connected to a politically recognized father who most likely had a position, it may have been also connected to a religious position of authority. Maybe he was a very wise man. Maybe he was a very gifted man. Possibly someone who was connected and had all the medical attention possible for his son who now had a condition. How many people in the scriptures you find that their names are never mentioned what was the name of the adulterous woman who was brought to jesus what was the name of the woman who had that problem with the blood and said i'm going to go after jesus because i'm hearing that he's coming by the way and i have affliction for 12 years and I don't care what, who's in the middle. I'm going to latch on. I'm going to scramble. I'm going to push. But I'm going to touch the hem of his garment. But she had no name. There's many that we've never known the name. What was the name of the woman by the well? What was the name of the man who went to pray at the temple? The Bible only describes one as being a Pharisee. And then other one, the other one who was Someone who was totally broken. But what were were their names? You don't know their names. Could it be possible that whenever God is about to do something, he is making sure that you understand that there's no special privileged people here? Could it be that he's telling us you are as important as your neighbor sitting next to you? That I'm not going to make a distinction or a difference. As to where you were born, what language you speak, what is your your level of your finances, where you come from a condition, a situation where financially you did not have everything you would have loved to. Maybe you didn't have anything that you wanted when you were a child, an adolescent. No one gave you a bicycle. No one gave you the proper clothes. I don't know about you, but I don't know if you ever had the sole of your, of your shoes that had a hole under it. I've been there. Anybody been there? Have you been there when you have no money to eat? Have you been there when you wanted something desperately? And I'm not even speaking about something that's luxury. Anything desperately that's basic and you have no money. And could it be that God is starting to tell us today through the scripture, when I want to use someone, if that someone is available, it makes no difference What's your origin? What's your race? What's your financial condition? The only thing that makes a difference is what's the condition of your heart. And so, at some point, this man may have enjoyed a normal life with all his senses intact. He may have had a family, most likely. He may have had a job and lived a normal life in the community. But then, something Happened. We know because of our experience. We know because we read and study. Because we know because of stats. We, we know because, especially those that live in the Northeast. If you live in New York and New Jersey in, in the in the United States, and we know because of what's going on in the world that you're here today, but you could be surprised by anything that could happen tomorrow. No one expected the towers to come down. That was unfathomable. No one, no one even thought about that. No one expected that a crazy man would come into a, a club in Orlando and start shooting. And it was the Latino night. And you have 49 people killed. No one thought about that. No one expected. Let me tell you, when things are going to come your way, and tragedy and problems, and you never plan for those. They, they, they never ask. They never knock on your door to ask for permission. No one asks, and and no one comes to you and tells you, can I give you a cancer? Can I touch you with diabetes? Can I make you to have high blood pressure? Can I touch your son or your daughter? Can I touch your daughter so that she will leave the home, your son to leave the home, your, your grandson, someone who's related to you to get into drugs? Can I do that? Can I touch your marriage? No one asked for permission. Things just come. This is the situation with this man. He may may have had a normal life. But all of a sudden his sight was gone. His life was totally changed. He became a beggar just outside the city of Jericho on the road that leads to Jerusalem. And that's important because you can decide to hide in a place with your misery. You can decide to when you're going through a crisis, a challenge, a difficult time to I you don't want to lose your name, you don't want to lose your reputation, you don't want to lose your shame. and you can decide to bottle it up and not let anybody know it. He could have stayed home and asked his daddy or someone else would just bring him, but he say, he said, I don't know how long this is going to be. I don't know if this is going to be forever. But I'm going to sit somewhere where I know that other people will pass by. And I don't know who's going to go through that path. But I have a sense of expectation that one day something will happen in my favor. Maybe you did lose your business. Maybe someone came. And made you lose your job. Maybe something happened and you lost your your marriage. And you could go into a pity party. And you could go into a sense of depression. And you could end up in a clinical depression. And you can say, no one can help me. And start beating yourself. Or you can go... To the path that is in between the place of misery, that was Jericho, or the place of, of which was Shalom, the place of peace and prosperity, which was Jerusalem. Where are you seated? Where are you standing? Where are you hanging out? Where do you have, where do you have your hope in? Who do you have your hope in? Where are your dreams? Think about this. This man was in Jericho. It was the first city that Israel defeated when Joshua led the Jews into the land of promise. Interesting, the Jewish name for Jesus is Joshua. See, everything is connected. Say with me, everything is connected. Tell your neighbor, everything is connected. I totally believe what the word of God says in Isaiah 46. I am the God that announces what is to come from the beginning. Where you were born is totally connected to where you're headed. And you're complaining about where you were born. The family that you were born to is totally connected to the ministry and the calling that he has for your life. And you're complaining about the dad and the mom that you didn't even have. I am the God... That announces what is to come from the beginning. Because in the beginning, the Bible says in Isaiah 46, I was always there. And I've treated and dealt with many people who come crying because of their pain. If you would only know, let me tell my story. And you listen to them. And you document what they're saying. And everybody has a story. I am sure that if we ask individually, every person here, you will make a list. And maybe you filled out sheets of paper. And for some, it may be a book. For others, a notebook. Because of what you've gone through. But I have to tell you that the God that I serve and the God that I preach and the God that is presented in the scriptures... The Jesus of Nazareth that goes from place to place looking for people who are desperate for something to change in in their lives. He is able to identify with your pain but not leave you in your place of sorrow. He's going to raise you up. He's going to lift you up. And there is hope because he will never forsake you. He was there. Joshua, in in Joshua chapter 1, is the person who takes the place of Moses. And God tells Joshua, I'm going to give you every land, every piece of soil that the feet, that your feet stand over. And if you look at uh, Joshua and how that is the same name that's represented and given to Jesus, you know that wherever Jesus is at, Everything he touches will become his. Because at the end of the day, he was the one that created the whole world. At the end of the day, he told the father in John chapter 17, the glory that I had with you before the beginning of the times. Now I ask that you bring it back to me because I came. Eternity came into time. um, it's time. It's called E.T. It's time. Eternity came into Chronos time and invaded humanity. And here I am. I've shared my glory. And now I ask that you take me back to that time of eternity so that these who you have given me will always be in me and in you. I say that Jesus is here today. I say that his presence is here today. I say that you did not come here by coincidence, but you were brought into the presence of the living God. And wherever Jesus is, something is about to happen. And so Jesus is about to take hold of the land. Joshua. Joshua. Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus brings up, Jesus lives. The first Yeshua came as a warrior, but the second Yeshua comes as a prince of peace. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter the wars, the battles you've gone through. Jesus is here and things are about to change. So Jesus was leaving the city of Jericho, the place of defeat, to travel to the road that led to Jerusalem. Scholars are uncertain as to what the word Jerusalem originally meant, but many believe it means the city of Shalom, the place of hope, the place of life. That is the word for peace. So that means that wherever you've been at fighting, battling, it could be with your relationship, it could be with your marriage, it could be with your children, it could be with your finances. As long as you're in the road, Jesus is about to pass by. So Bartimaeus was sitting as a beggar outside of the city of defeat. On the road to the city of peace. Some of you may be sitting now where Bartimaeus was sitting. He had a cup to beg for money. And that cup represented his condition. Some people have cups. And that cup speaks about their place of pain. That's how come Jesus When he was praying before going to Golgotha, before going to the cross, he asked the father, father, if it's possible, let that cup pass from me. Because a cup represents a place of pain, a place of loneliness. And he had that cup. And there are people who are carrying today the cup. And you may not have a literal cup, but the cup, everybody can see it. And you're asking for leftovers. You're asking for alms. You're dependent on somebody else. But I have news for you. That cup is about to change hands. And it's not coming from one hand to another. It's coming from one hand, your hand, to the hand of the Lord. Because that cup, which nobody else could fill with any ray of hope, When you come to Jesus and he takes the cup of your pain and your agony, he takes it and changes it to a a cup of joy for the Lord. And that's how come David would say, let my cup overflow. And so why don't we make an exchange today your cup of pain for the cup of joy for the Lord? Can you give me something? Will you give me some alms? Will you hand me something so that I can buy something? Will you give me some coins? Will you give me something that will connect me to have a future tomorrow so that I can eat something? So he had a cup. He was dependent. There's people that get used to a lifestyle of dependency. And God is not in the business of dependency. When he created you, he created you with the capacity and the ability to learn how to walk on your own. To have a relationship with God on your own. That's how come you don't see many images in this place. That's how come we didn't come here to worship the pastor. We didn't come here to worship the priest. We didn't come here to worship anybody else. The Bible says that there's only one mediator before the father and in between men and his name is Jesus Christ. Many people were brought up with a sense of dependency. There's women that got married just because they're just dependent on their husbands. There's men that got married because they had no identity. And they got married to have a dependency on the wife. There's children that have total dependency. And they are 25, 30, 35 years old and still depend on daddy and mommy. I know because of mental health that dependency is not a good thing. But not only do people cling to others, they will not make decisions on their own. They're dependent on people's opinions. They're dependent on what somebody else says. And sadly, some of the people that they depend on, they never achieved anything in their lives anyway. They hang out with the wrong people. They hang out with the wrong wrong companions. They, They choose the wrong people for their future instead of believing that God has something better for them. Today, God is coming to tell you, I come to break your dependency. That cup in your hand is not your destiny. That apartment that you have is not your destiny. That job that you have, as good as it may feel, may be not your destiny. God wants more for you. That's how come he sends you promises. Why? Because he wants you to feed your dreams. When he made you, he made you with the capacity to dream, to see, to see better, beyond, bigger. That's how come he has given us a spirit of creativity. Creativity. Have you been ever, ever in a situation where you saw something and you said to yourself, Hmm, if I could invent something to fix that situation to fix that which I can't fix. If there was something electronic, something that, that I could do with my hands, some, some something that I can create, it may be music, it may be, it, may, it may be artifacts, it may be something in wood, it may be something in iron, I don't know what it would be. Have you been driving and said, and, and you would say, if they had only had a capacity to put here some type of, of road path, so that I could take this type of, maybe you, you had an engineering mind. Does that happen only to me or there's people here that that happens to? Because God never wanted you to be dependent on somebody else. And sometimes people who are dependent on others are then abused by those others. And they manipulate. And the more you become dependent, the more manipulated and controlled you become almost a slave. This became his habitat. He was, by the way, he could hear people walk and talk, but his condition would not change. You probably have some, had some spiritual victories. You've defeated some habits. You've overcome some trials and you've triumphed over some temptations, but you haven't entered into the city of peace. Today, I propose to you that God brought you here so that you know that tomorrow there's a better place awaiting you. There is a miracle on the way. You do not have to stay in the same condition. You do not have to keep on wearing the same cloak that you were wearing. You don't have to hang out with the same people that are doing the same thing that you're doing now. Maybe tomorrow, today, no, next week, something is about to happen if you only believe. How many believe? You know people like this. They are faithful people. Some people come to church like that. They sit in the church pews. They sing the church songs. They talk the church talk. But they are filled with uncertainty and questions and fears and doubts. They are blind to the peace that passes understanding. And they are blind to the path. Most of us are not blind physically, but we are blind spiritually. And that's how come the Apostle Paul would write. I pray every day in my praise for you that God would open the eyes of your understanding. Because we know for a fact that people who are blind physically, God allows them to develop the other senses. And they compensate for the fact that they cannot see. But sadly, there's people that have their eyes but cannot hear as others who have no eyes hear. That's how come in Revelations, seven times it says in the, in the seven messages to the seven churches, let those that have ears hear what the Spirit of God is telling the church. If you look at the form of a ear, look at the person next to you, hopefully they're fine. <laughs> but if you look at it, it has the shape of an embryo. Because the Bible says that faith comes through the hearing and hearing of the word of God. All you need to allow God to change your life is to hear. Because hearing the word, it becomes a seed. The Bible says in Mark chapter 4 that the planter, the sower went to plant the seed. And seven times it says that the seed was the, the word of God. And so you're here today, you come here on a regular basis, you come here on Sundays, you come for, for prayer service, you come for other events. Allow your, your ear to hear what God is telling you, because it's not for the, next, the, the neighbor that is sitting next to you, it's for the f- person that is actually seating, seated in the chair where you're seated. Tell your neighbor they're speaking to you. And tell your neighbor, they're speaking to me. They're good Christians. They're safe from their sins. They're satisfying their soul. But they're spiritual beggars looking for someone else to supply what they lack. It's someone else's responsibility to make them happy. It's someone else's responsibility to make them feel good about themselves. We need to come here. And if uh, somewhat, sometimes I feel like we need to, 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 to dance, to jump, to scream, to shout. To, to raise hands. We need to tell people, do things. But, there, but there's no personal relationship. God is calling you to stop being a spiritual beggar and start growing up out of that dependency. So that you can have your own relationship with the mighty Savior. Looking for others to affirm them. For others to compliment them. For others to give them a blessing. Rather than choosing to be themselves the blessing. I don't know if you ever sat in a group. In a committee work. There's always that type of person. That everything you bring to the table. Especially if it's innovation. They gonna, they're gonna, they have the spirit of a firefighter. They're always... Throwing water on on ideas. And then there's the folks that will say, oh, I've been here five years, seven years, ten years, fifteen years. And we've never done it that way. I know that doesn't happen in this church. That only happens where I hang out. They sit faithfully between defeat and peace. And even though they have been spiritual victories in their lives, they never celebrate or rejoice in the Lord. Let me tell you, the Lord is good. And he's good all the time. And you might be looking at the news and everything you see is darkness. I see light. Everything you see is problems. I see victories. Everything you see is addictions. I see liberation. Everything you see is pain. I see healings all the time. Everything you see is poverty. I see financial blessings on the people that I love and they love God. Everything you see is difficulties, challenges. Everything is a problem. Everything is an obstacle. But I see the mighty warrior of God who got up this morning and told you today is your best day. Because my mercies are new every morning. I come here and I don't see the group that is here. I see what God is going to do in this house. I don't see the 200 people, the 150. I see the 300 people because with 300, Gideon was able to defeat over 30,000 people. Oh, I don't know about you, but I'm putting my hat. I'm putting my hope. I'm putting my future in the hands of the almighty God that he's going through me, passing by me and asking me, what do you want today? This was a journey of destiny for Jesus. He knew what lay ahead and he tried to tell his disciples that he was going through the cross. And Peter was the first one that said in John chapter 13, don't, don't go through the cross. And just as Jesus rebuked Peter and told him, I must go so that the word will be fulfilled. And that created disorganization in the life of Peter. And in John chapter 14, he had to give them almost therapy. He had to bring them a word of restoration. Because they were expecting a Jesus that would mount his own kingdom the earth. In the same way he did it for Peter. And it left Peter disorganized. And even after Jesus resurrected, what did Peter go and do? The same thing he was doing before. He went fishing. And not only did he go fishing, he went on fishing with the other disciples that none of them were fishermen. What was Matthew, a tax collector, doing? Fishing. <laughs> but it's interesting because when you look at John chapter 21, what used to work before for you once you have a word over your life, will no longer work unless you come to the place of redemption and purpose that God has for you. They spent all night trying to fish. And they couldn't catch one. And Peter was so secure, so clear. He thought that he had everything in his hands and controlling. He said, I'm going back to my daddy's business. And I'm going I'm to fish all night. But he couldn't get a fish. That he took his clothes off. He said, well, I'm going to go diving. And let me tell you, when you walk away from God's purpose, you could go a diving, you could go a fishing, you could go and hang out with whoever you want to, you could go try whatever, you could leave the place that God brought you to be the place of your blessing. You could go wherever you want, but as long as you keep on running, one day the Father will be in the house awaiting for you to come right back to the place of your calling. until jesus appears hey folks do you have anything have you caught anything could it be that jesus is calling you today and asking you what are you investing your time in are you giving me my time are you giving me your your gifts whether it's in the business world, whether it's any type of other inclination that you have, any type of work, you may be in the educational field. You may be in the legal field. You may be in whatever, in the medical field. But there you could be an ambassador for the kingdom. But you're fishing and nothing is coming. And Jesus says, do you have anything? And that's John 21. And when you read it, You look at what the Bible says, that it was John, the worshiper, the one that recognized his voice, because Peter, who was there fishing all night, was so far disconnected from the purpose of God that he could not identify that that was Jesus, the resurrected the son of God. That's how come you must come to meet to worship God. Your private worship is fueled, is fed by your corporate worship. You must come to worship. You must be fed on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, on a midweek basis with the word of God so that we can encourage. Because the longer you stay disconnected, the less faith you will have. Because there's no planting, no seeding of faith in your heart. And I could tell. I know that doesn't happen here. But I know, I could tell. People are all on fire for God. And then they were sitting sitting at the first, second, third row, and they were here early, and then they start getting here late, and then they start sitting towards the middle, and then three quarters back, and then the whole place is empty. There's only some people in the front, and you can see all the way at the back, and the next thing is they're out the door, and you'll never see them again. I know that doesn't happen here. It just happens over there. What are you doing fishing? What are, why are you going back to the place where you, God broke your dependence from? You were dependent on fishing. You were dependent on a company. You were dependent on your boats. You were dependent on literally, uh, literal fishes. But you got a word, and the word was, Peter, I will not make you a regular fisherman. I'm going to make you a fisherman of men. And the Bible says, hey, Peter. Throw your net to the other side. Because sometimes you're about to get your blessing and it's just around the corner, but you take the wrong turn. I'm always concerned when people tell me, Pastor, I'm leaving. I'm always concerned. I'm not going to curse you. I'm not going to do it. I bless you. Just go ahead. I can't force you. This is your home. We'll be here. And I bless you. But then I look and I observe. Because what was he doing? And it's Jesus who tells, just throw the net on the other side. Anybody know Brother Jonah? What did God tell Jonah? God told him to go to Nineveh. Where did he go? He took a cruise. (laughs) Do you think God got into the business of the cruise? Do you think God can get into the business of Carnival and Royal Caribbean and all and Norwegian and all? God can get into the business. And you could be hiding away from your mission and your, your responsibility. But God over there will move the seas will push the winds and all of a sudden there's a storm. So when you go through storms in your life, the first thing you have to do before pointing your finger at somebody else, at the church, at the pastor, at your relatives, at your daddy, at your mommy, at the woman, at the man, at the children, how about looking at yourself? Could it be that I am in a cruise ship and I should be going headed to Nineveh and I'm going somewhere else? What's your dependency? Because he came to do surgery today. He came to break your dependency. Your dependency can't even be in this church. It can't be in the leadership. It can't be because anyone can fail. It's got to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was Jesus that was leaving Jericho, followed by his disciples, a large crowd of people that they were about to pass by the blind son of timaeus and let me tell you it's no coincidence wherever you see crowds wherever you see god doing something you watch a lot of crowds behind him and part of the crowd that will follow and we will be there they will not always be the people that like you the people who are celebrating your promotion there will be also your enemies it'll be people that do not want you to have your blessing it'll be people from within Pharisees, and people from without. People that like the current fad. What's happening now? That's inside the church and outside the church. Because there's fads that come. And people follow. And they want to be with the groups. Watch out. Because not the fact that you have many groups or numbers does not mean that God is present. With all due respect, I have an issue. Where... What you see amounts of people going to what I call drive-through Christianity. They want an hour and 10-minute service. There's no discipleship. There's no exhortation. There's no confrontation. They're, they don't talk about sin. You could do whatever you want, be whatever you, 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 you are, and you want to, whatever you want to become. And as long as, that, as you believe and sing about the grace of God, everything will be all right. I bless them. That's not me. I understand that's not the scripture. Watch out with hanging out with the multitudes. The point is that while you're there, while he's there, Bartimaeus heard about Jesus. He heard that a man named Jesus was opening blinded eyes. That Bartimaeus knew that when the Messiah comes, he will give sight to the blind. He had read and stood up in Luke chapter 4 and said, this time has been fulfilled. This word has been fulfilled. I will come because I have been anointed to give eyes, to eyesight to the blind. To set the captives free. To shout out for a new day of the Lord. To bind up the brokenhearted. To set liberty those who are bruised. Bartimaeus was seen more by faith than many of Jesus' followers were seen with eyes wide open. He was blind, but he had a blessing he could hear. There's a sound today that is being heard at Calvary Christian Fellowship. This is not by coincidence. This is not that. Apostle saw something and said, let me get Apostle Noel to come here and and, and be with us and fellowship with us. There is a word from heaven. There's a challenge from heaven. You are on the brink. You're about to hear the sound of the trumpet of God over this city, over this place, over this area, and over this house. But somebody needs to say, Lord, speak. Speak. Lord, direct. Lord, plant the seed of faith in me through the hearing. There's a sound over this house. If you can hear, faith is being raised raised today. The word is the seed. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 says, The earth was without form and an empty waste, and darkness was upon the face of the very great deep. The Spirit of God was moving, was hovering, was brooding, was making noise over the face of the waters. Why would you have a, 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 an earth that is totally disorganized, but you have the Spirit of God just hovering, just making noise? Because all you need is the Word of God over anything that's disorganized. All you need is the Word of God over anything that's out of whack. All you need is the word of God over that son that you cannot control, that daughter that you cannot control, that husband who's going on a different path, that wife that's going on a different path over your own business career, over your own finances. All you need is the word of God, the sound of God, the trumpet of God. That's how come every move of God. God shouts it out, announces it with a sound of trumpet. David. In his persecution and loneliness, he wrote as the heart pants and longs for the water brooks, so I pant for you, O Lord. And then he adds in verse 7 of Psalm 42, deep calls out to deep. The thunder of your waterspouts, spouts, all your breakers and your rolling waves have gone over me in his pain, in his doubt, in his shallowness. In his sickness, being persecuted, he heard a sound of water that was roaring. And he says, that's what I want. Nicodemus Nicodemus got a glimpse of this sound. The Bible says that when Jesus met Nicodemus, he told him, the wind blows, it breathes where it wills. And though you hear its sound, yet you neither know where it comes from. To know where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. The sound of God is in this house today. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is. The sound of God is there. And the sound of God is to bring you good news. The sound of God is to awaken you. The sound of God is to do something new. It's to bring you not only to levels. But to bring you to new dimensions. I remember 2008, we had a building, we had property, we had a good group, about 150 people. Until God started messing, intervening. The first thing that happened is that a person came into the church from a a very rigid, legalistic background. And he started talking about what we were teaching about grace. And literally I had to tell the person, leave the church. Never had done that before. The next thing that happened is that someone upset at one of her associate pastors called immigration and they deported him. That brought a whole sense of depression, collective depression to the church. But God was speaking. And all you need is for God to speak. The next thing that happened is that I am in my office. During the day, a summer day. It was in cold, so I didn't need heat. It wasn't hot, so I really didn't need air. So I put up the window just a little bit. And I hear this guy who's dressed in white. And he's saying, I have a problem with these people next door. And I'm hearing him. And he's talking about us, about the church. Every time I bring my clients, and I'm going to consult. Something is happening because they started praying at 5 o'clock in the morning. Because I've always had a time during the year, at least three different times, where we go to the church at 5 o'clock in the morning, and people come before they go to work. They come one hour to pray. And we pray corporately. And we bring down strongholds. And we declare there, there's a path to heaven. That blessings come down when praises go up. We unleash the blessings over the community. We rebuke and we bind and we tie up every evil spirit that takes control of our cities and our children and our wives and our husbands. We take control in prayer. And when I saw that, oh, you devil, you're a liar. Thank you for promoting us. I stepped up the prayer. Next Sunday, there were seven men dressed in white, throwing some water at our property, thinking that they would have power over us. God was speaking. I used to bring my notes, three, four pages for my sermons. They were greatly ordered, greatly delivered. Amen, what a good message, but, but they lacked in anointing. They lack in making a challenge to people. You're sick, we're going to pray for you, and you're going to be healed. You don't have a job, we're going to pray for you. This is the best office for employment. A woman comes, and she told me in front of everyone, I said, why are you coming here? She says, I, have, I, am, I am about to give birth. And here's the note from the doctor who told me five years ago, if you ever get pregnant again, you're going to die. Because the placenta was connected to the uterus, and it was, it was going to create such a mess that she was going to bleed to death until she came to the house of the Lord. Another one came about three weeks later. She came with a picture. The picture of the baby that I have is that she's going to be cephalic or not hydrocephalic but anyway big head sorry for the forgetting the term the point is I said the devil is a liar we're gonna pray for that and that head is gonna come back to normal and the next time she came around the child's health and the child's head was totally normal and under control (laughs) when the first woman went to the hospital We were in prayer, in a prayer chain, and I awakened everyone with a mass text of over 500 people. We need special prayer. She's in the hospital. We're believing that she's going to be fine. 24 hours later, the child was born. The child was well. The mother was fine. She was healthy, all to the glory of God. God is speaking to you. You're having troubles at home. Take a little bit of oil. If you would believe in oil, I don't care what type of masola oil, whatever oil, just pray. Father, this oil has no power. But in the name of Jesus, I'm gonna put some oil on the walls, I'm gonna put some oil on myself, and in the name of Jesus, I break every devil, every lie that comes against my family. He is speaking to you. Listen to what he's speaking. He's speaking through you, through the crisis, through the problems, through the challenges. Get up, warrior. Get up. You have Joshua within you. My life changed from 2008 after we went through those crises because the ministry was on the line. And I said, Lord, you call me and you will never Romans chapter 10, he will never call you to shame. His name and his reputation is at stake with you. And so Bartimaeus knew that this was his opportunity. Maybe the only opportunity he ever get to be healed. He was not going to let this moment pass him by. When you're in crisis, beloved, you're hungry. And when you're in crisis, you're desperate. And when you're in crisis, you don't care about your reputation. You don't care what people say. You will do whatever it takes. To Naaman, go to the dirtiest river and and go there and dive seven times. Why? Why to the dirtiest river? None of your business. Be obedient. You want to be healed of leprosy. Go to the dirtiest river! Have you ever been in a crisis? Many wor- Many people use that word for many of things. I'm in crisis. I'm stressed out. Have you ever seen people like that? But not every interruption of your stability is a crisis. It needs to be defined as a period whereby... Changes are coming about and creating expansion, growth within you, but a lot of tension. They require a lot of special attention. It has to do with the impact that a situation has over a human being that requires more than your normal developed internal resources. Because if not, it would not be a crisis. You're used to resolving problems. You have your contacts, you know how to who you call. What happens when who to call is not there? What happens with the way that you were used to resolving issues and problems and challenges, and now you they don't work. These resources are both internal and external. Crisis happens within a person when their normal activities that are destined to, solution, to the solution of problems and challenges, they appear that are inefficient, allowing the tension to grow. And now what do you do? Before you had a problem with your son or your daughter, you would call grandma, aunt, uncle, the counselor. Now you have a problem, and no one can help you. Tension grows more. As the satisfaction or the lack of uh, satisfaction brings about not only emotional, but also psychological and spiritual tension. And you start asking, where is my God? What about the times I've gone to church? What about the times I believe for miracles? What about the offerings that I gave? What about the, the songs that I know? What about the times that I opened the Bible? And all of a sudden, what was not important to you now becomes important. You didn't care about praying. Now you wake up at 2 in the morning, and all of a sudden, Lord, 2 o'clock in the morning is not insomnia. Is that you're asking me to pray? Is that if I pray, I believe that you can touch what I can't touch? Is that I can send forth the word? To my son, to my daughter, to my niece, to my nephew, to a relative, to my job. To that boss that I cannot stand. And if I send a word at 2 o'clock in the morning, there's something about the silence of the night that it will break through the darkness and we'll be able to reach the place of destiny that God has. So when you're in that depression, in that crisis... You need to ask for external resources. There's four stages to to, to the crisis that a person faces. First is the challenge, the stimulus, the problem that mobilizes your normal responses within you. Then there is the failure of those skills that you had to respond to the crisis. And it produces a more internal sense of confusion. Then the tension mobilizes other resources, spiritually, emotionally, and socially. And hopefully the problem or the challenge is resolved so that you will not end up disorganized. I dare say this man represents many of us. You have allowed things to be lost. You have allowed relationships to be cut. You have allowed jobs and money and resources and friendships to get lost and be dead while you have within you the capacity to just ask and activate activate the biggest resource that you have next to you. And the Lord brought me here to tell you the biggest resource is walking right through here. His name is Jesus Christ. But you cannot miss the moment. Because if Jesus goes from Jericho to Jerusalem and he passes by and you don't shout out, you'll continue being blind. And tomorrow you'll be doing the same thing that you did yesterday. But when Jesus comes, he's paying attention to everything because he doesn't miss a beat. You think God forgot about you? You think he doesn't know you? Before you were born, he knew you. He knew exactly where you were going to be. You can't understand that because your mind is limited in mine too. But he's a God that knows everything. He sees everything. He knows every detail of your life. And he brought you here within the reach of my voice so that you can remember you're not a mistake. He has not forgotten you. Just shout out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. But sometimes we're too proud. Sometimes we'd rather stay with the pain. Sometimes we're not willing to allow God to break us. Because when you shout out, you have to acknowledge that you don't have enough to resolve the issue yourself. And that's called surrender. And unless you're willing to die to your own name, your own reputation, what people may say. I used to, because I went to school, I used to be very orderly. And I used to say, I don't want to see, I don't want to have people, my friends and my, my co laborers and those who I, who I went to school with that they heard and they saw me, how, how I wrote things, how I sp- spoke appropriately, how I hung out with people who were professionals at all realms. I don't want them to see me screaming and shouting and praying. No, 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 no. When God comes into your life and you surrender, you're willing to do anything. What will I not do for people to get healed? I go to Seattle, Washington, and there's a woman who's there, and she is in a wheelchair. and And I ask her, what are you doing in a wheelchair? She says, seven years ago, something came over my nerves, and since then, I have not been able to walk. And it reminded me about that woman with the problem of the blood. 12 years prior, that woman started being afflicted with a a blood disease. And that woman heard about Jesus, and she went through, and she touched. And if she was able to touch and got healed, I had the faith that God would heal that woman if I just believed, and she believed. And I told her, you know what? I'm going to keep on preaching, but I'm going to declare a word, a prophetic word over your life. And I'm going to put two ladies next to you, and whenever you're ready, you're going to get up and start walking. And I'm preaching and I'm going over here all fired up and all of a sudden I hear a sound and everybody's looking that way. And when I look that way, that woman's up on her feet and she's stretching and she's walking. And I said, I don't care what anybody says. If a word of faith is going to raise a woman, I'm going to do it in the name of Jesus. Get up. I go to an African-American church. And they invite me. And I said, why are you inviting me? <laughs> oh, because we heard that you preach. Da, 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 da. Okay. The first thing I noticed as I sat on the side in the front, there was another woman who was in a wheelchair. And I see these people, and I honor, I bless, I'm going to be appropriate. They have their hymnal books. They're singing, la, la, la. Then they invite me with our dance team. Over 50 dancers, and they invade that space. And we start dancing, and heaven starts moving. And then I have the part to preach. And as I'm ministering, all of a sudden, I go to that woman. Do you want to be healed? She says, yes. I said, get up. I put a lady, come over here, help her. Got her up. What's wrong with you? I had an aneurysm. And since then, my left side, I have no strength. Do you believe that God can give you strength today? She said, yes. With such a conviction, I said, if you have such a conviction, I too, in the name of Jesus, be healed. I prayed for her. She fell down again on her wheelchair. Raise her up. Got up. I said, let's start walking. I took her by the hand. We started walking through the aisle and all of a sudden that woman started jumping and jumping and jumping. And if you ever been to a great African-American church that was dead but now is alive, the noise in that place was heaven on earth. She started jumping and she left me running. I was behind her and she was in the front. With all due respect, I could care less about the opinion of people. I care more about the healing power of God that took a woman and went over the diagnosis. And everybody knew that that place was a place of healing. Revival came to that church. And I told that pastor, with all due respect, I have nothing to do with you except to be your collaborator. But I have to tell you, from now on, pray Every service, you're going to pray for the sick. And you watch God do miracles. The challenge is that Jesus is coming by. There's people who are blind. Others are deaf. Others are sick. Others have all types of problems and challenges. And nothing is happening in the church. Since 2008... Our church went, (laughs) because I understood that all the systems that I could put in place could not heal anyone. All my teachings would not heal anything, would not do anything unless I put into action and screamed out to God and believed God for miracles. If you want to stay on the path and you want to keep on holding to your cup, that's okay. But there's many other people who are not willing to continue that lifestyle. And I believe there's got to be a few of those people who are desperate for God to come into their life today. Come into the circumstances. Change! I got here yesterday. And as soon as I came in, this is my practice, I always ask for the bathroom first. That's what I do. I always ask for a little bit of water and bathroom. Why? Because I never know how long God is going to use me. And then I'm going to be holding it up and praying for people. <laughs> nature is nature. I respect it. But as I go in, who do I see? I see my brother. How are you? I haven't seen you in so many years. Papa. A problem in my back. You think that that just happened? That stayed with me. I said, Lord, yesterday, last night, this morning, Lord, you got to do a miracle with this man. There's no way that that back problem is bigger and greater than the power of God that is in this place. But you got to be sensitive to what God is speaking. He's speaking to you. He's talking to you. The sound is in this place. Look to your right. Look to your left. He's speaking to you. There's a need that he's waiting for you to manifest his glory so that you can supply that need. It's you. I am the carrier of Jesus Christ. He lives in me. You are the carrier. Just like the body of Christ, Jesus, Jesus, the the man was carrying the Christ inside. You are the the carrier of the life of Christ in you. And Christ is not going to come here in the flesh. He already did that. He left his body, which is the church. You're the carrier of the anointing. Use it. How many times have you gone home after church thinking, I should have gone forward for prayer? How many times have you passed up an opportunity to share Christ with someone? And all you can think about after that moment has passed, I should have said something to that person. Maybe you felt compelled to help someone who was down and out, but you didn't. Maybe you felt the urging of the Holy Spirit to give a certain amount of offering, but you held back. And you had no clue that that offering that you were going to give would have broken up heaven on your behalf or the behalf of the others. You have to seize the moment. We must have faith to do what is right in the moment. Even when we don't understand, that's the place that this church is at. This title was not a coincidence. Holding on, seizing on to the promises of God. You have to latch on. And I don't care what anybody says, but I'm going to latch on to that promise. I'm going to hold on to that word. Whoever wants to leave, leave. Whoever wants to jump, jump. But that word is mine. I'm seizing my promise. We read yesterday, Numbers 23, God is not a man that he should tell or act a lie. Neither the son of a man that he should feel repentance and compunction. He has he said and shall not he do or has he has spoken and shall he not make a good. What God said will be fulfilled and completed. We read 1 Corinthians from: no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us in the glory of God. We get together. We join God when we take his promise and we say, it's mine. He couldn't see it. You may not be able to see everything God, that God is doing. Bartimaeus couldn't see everything. But faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. That's how come I like to, to push churches, push my pastors. I believe that the God I serve, I serve is never going to get you to be lower than. It's always going to, the Bible always speaks about putting you on top and not at the bottom. You have a business, you sold $100,000 this year. Next year has got to be $150,000. You have a house and your children are blessed and you have two grandchildren. Next year has got to be three grandchildren. Whatever you see in the middle, it doesn't care. Who cares? You have problems with the mother, with the father. There's. A, it doesn't matter what God said will be, period. You're going for education. You don't have the funds, but you started. Believe God. The one that provided this year will provide next year. You have five musicians. Believe God for seven. You have seven singing in the choir. Believe God for 15. But somebody has to take hold of the word and believe that God is the one who will add, who will bless, who will anoint, who will put you, who will push. I know the crisis does not let you see. Because when you come to me as your counselor, your therapist, you want me to give you the answer. I don't have it. But I can connect you to the one who has the answer. Who will make a way where there's no way. Who will change your heart. Who will make a child who left home come back. Being blind, he wasn't able to track Jesus down. Instead, all he could do was hope that just once, Jesus would pass his way. And boy, when he heard the news that he was coming... He said, this is my day. I'm going to latch on. I'm going to seize. I believe the word that when he came, the Messiah would come, he would heal. I believe that he heals. All you need to do is hear the whisper that God is sending. Maybe the preacher said something that birthed faith in your soul. But faith alone is not enough. Faith coming by hearing and hearing of the word of God. But we have to turn that into action. I love this man i love the story i love the fact that he was blind and he heard and then the religious told them stop stop shouting they got in the middle how many people have tried to stop you how many people have talked about you how many told you like they told me you're gonna be you're gonna be you're gonna be a mess just like your dad i come from a family that they're crazy they're mentally ill I have an uncle who passed away at an early age because he was schizophrenic, bipolar, and paranoid. Three, diagnosis. I have a cousin who's his daughter, and she's also schizophrenic. My father's schizophrenic. I'm not supposed to be here, but I canceled the word that someone, it got to my, eye, my ears. I heard the guy said, you're going to be just like your father. But I rebuked that word. I'm going to have the mind of Christ. I'm going to have the wisdom of Christ. I'm going to have the shalom of God over me. My family will be blessed. I'm going to raise a ministry that's going to be healing and building healthy families. I'm going to give therapies to others. I'm going to bless others. I'm going to empower others. And my mind will be sound because I reject those that stand in my way of my destiny that God put forth for my life. How many people have talked about you? How many people mocked you? You think that we as pastors, we don't hear that? I went through it 10 plus years. I remember a man or God, quote unquote, that came and told me, challenged me like this. I will never again go to your church unless you give me the building. You show me the building that God is, you have said God is giving you. He had no idea that in my back pocket I had the contract for the property we later bought. My response was, listen to what I'm going to tell you. You're looking for a building made out of bricks. Actually, it's a building made out of bricks, the one we have. But I'm looking for what God is looking. He's looking for a building made out of hearts. The guy left. Six years later, he passed away. He never stepped into the building that God gave us. You think God doesn't know when people mock you? They laugh at your small beginnings. They laugh at your church. They laugh at your, at your worship team. They laugh at your business that you just started. They, they laugh because you said, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to start my degree. They laugh at your family. They laugh at your poverty. They laugh at everything. There's people who will get in the way and will tell, Stop! Don't shout. You're bothering the master. Do it this way. Sing three songs. And have a little scripture. And have a 20-minute sermon and then let them go. Because they have it down packed. But they're, they're lost. They're void of anointing and power. Nothing happens in their services. Nothing happens in their businesses. Nothing happens in their lives. I come to tell you, no matter who stands in the way, get up and shout, Jesus of Nazareth!" <laughs> Elisha told Ahab, "Get up, eat and drink, for I hear the sound of abundance of rain." First 1 Kings 1841. "Somebody has to hear this today. Get up and get ready for your feast." Get up and get ready for your celebration. Get up and get ready for what God is going to do in this house. Get up and get ready for the ministry that God is going to raise. Men's ministry, women's ministry, social work ministry, evangelism ministry, mission ministry. This church will be packed. You're going to have a serious problem. Amen. Get up, eat, and drink. For I hear a sound. When your moment comes, you've got to move or you will miss it. When the moment comes, you've got to cease it or you will miss it. The blind man heard the word. Faith was birthed, and then he began to cry out, Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on me. Let me wrap this up. You know what the rest of the story is. He was there, but Jesus heard his cry. Do you believe that Jesus can hear your cry today? What is your cry? Whatever you're going through, do you think that you're the only one? Do you think that it takes God by surprise? Do you think that whatever you're going through, all is lost? It's your marriage. It's your relationship. It's your finances. It's your health. God can do anything. There's nothing impossible for God. Well, I'm almost dead. What about the young man that that woman was burying and Jesus came and and she had been a widow. And they were coming out of the city to bury him. All it took for Jesus to stop by. He said, get up. And he resurrected. What about Lazarus? Four days and he called them out get up and he came out there's nothing that you think that is dead that god cannot resurrect the challenge you have is that it is in your heart whether you believe in the spirit of resurrection the onus is not on the problem the onus is not on the crisis the onus is on you do I hear a word of God and do I take it upon myself and will I run with it? Will I proclaim it? Will I allow that my emotions be submitted to the word of God? Because the word of God, I propose to you that is bigger than your emotions. Believe. He started crying out and Jesus paid attention. If you believe, and I love Philippians chapter 4, it says, let Your petition be known in prayer, in supplication, and thanksgiving. It's three phases. Prayer. Lord, you know what it is. I don't understand it, but here it is. Supplication from groaning from within. Lord, I'm crying out. I'm blind. I don't know. I don't have the resources. I'm disorganized. I'm in crisis. But let that switch over. I give it all to you, I handed it over, I gave you my cup, and now what? I'm going to have Thanksgiving in my mouth, because by faith, you did it. I don't see it, but you did it. That's the story of two men too, who went to the hospital, both in a bed, one next to the window. And every morning he would get up, he couldn't walk, but he could see through the window. And he, when he would awaken, and the other person couldn't get up, But he would awaken as well. And this one was bitter. And this one would tell him, everything's going to be okay. Have faith. Believe. And this one would tell him every morning, look at what I see. I see a a marching band from the local high school. I see their uniforms. I see the baton twirls. I see the formations. And he would describe them. And One day, one morning, that man died. And he said, whew. I was desirous for that man to die so I could take that that, that bed. And they took out the bag with the body inside. And immediately he asked, can I have that bed? They prepared it for him. He went to sleep. He woke up in the morning. And when he looked out the window to see the marching band, there was a wall of cement. It's in you to make the difference. It's in you to say, I believe. I don't know how, but here's my prayer. Here's my supplication. I hand it in to him. I surrender it, and I'm going to praise you and thank you. And nothing is going to stop me from my assignment. I'm going to keep on doing it with joy. And if that attack is coming against me, it's because there's a blessing around the corner. Something better is Around the corner. It's just on the other side. And if I throw my net on the other side. Something bigger is coming. I don't know what you're going through. But the Lord is telling you. I'm going from Jericho to Jerusalem. Do you want to come with me to the place of peace and prosperity? He believed. He took off his cloak. His mantle. No more identity with begging. He gave us his cup. And he was able to see. What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with ministry? What do you want to do with your business? What, what do you want to do with the dreams that God has given you? Why are you believing the lies that others have spoken about you? Why? It's your season. I dare say, in this church, speaking about the church itself, I dare say that there are leaders for deacons, leaders for ushers. Leaders for security, leaders for sound, leaders for media, leaders for, for holding all types of TV um, and, 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 and cameras here, leaders for absolutely everything, for little girls, for, for children's ministry. We have in our church over 60 ministries and we're only 400. But I believe that my job is to train and release. Every June and every July, I meet with everyone I can in the church let's come 30 minutes what's your passion what are you doing are you going to discipleship why not there's great there's greatness in you let's have a conversation talk to me where do you come from what's your background what are your resources what are your gifts you need to be activated if not you're going to die a limb that does not function falls off I don't know it's not your problem to know your problem is to obey Once you take the first step, the rest is God's responsibility. I know many people who know a lot don't do anything. And I know many people who don't know anything but do a lot. Do you think all those professionals, mega billionaires, you think they went to college? They have a master's degree and a doctor's degree. God bless all of us who have those degrees. But many of those people didn't even finish high school. But they dared. Do you dare to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you dare to hear the voice? Do you dare to go to him, tell him, Lord, I need to see. Return my eyesight. I don't want to waste my time. I'm raising up a new generation. And I tell the people when they come to our church, this is a crazy church. We're organized, super organized. We're not going to waste time. You know, we're am going to waste your time. But you're going to get a word, and you better act on it. And if you come here to waste my time, then the door is there. Because many people will come to churches. And I understood I was liberated from the fact that I learned that I'm not going to be a pastor and a shepherd to everyone. There's 40 plus churches in the city I minister in. But the people that God needed to bring, he has brought. And I'm believing for greatness. And I learned that the city where I'm at, that our stats and demographics tell us that they're poor, that they're non educated, that that is not going to control me. I'm going to change the land. I carry the DNA. It's in you. You're probably the only one in your family, but you could do it. Everybody looked bad at you as a member of that family, but you're going to do it. You're carrying a ministry inside of you. You need to give birth. You need to let it out because there's pains that are coming. And you can see that your body is extending and your nose is getting big. And your breasts are getting full of milk. That means that a baby is about to be born. This is where the Spirit of God reveals to me that this church is at. This church is about to give birth. And it will run with those who take that word of the promise of God and cease it and says, I'm going to run with it. I'm going to cry out. I'm going to surrender it. And he will do it. Why don't you stand on your feet? Your choice today. Is to take the journey of the less resistance. Keep on doing what everybody else is doing. Don't bother anyone. Keep it with your tightly knit shirt and your nice dress, and don't do anything. Just stay put. Watch people grow. Watch people be blessed. While you stay who you are, to see if luck would do something. In the kingdom, there's no luck. There's purpose. In the kingdom, it requires a response. Passivity is not part of the business in the kingdom. The Bible says that the kingdom suffers violence. And only those who are valiant will snatch it. I got tired of being tired. I'm a middle child, and I was not supposed to. I was the one that was neglected. But I remember the day that I went into my brother's hospital room, and he had just had an aneurysm as well. And as I went there, he saw me coming. It was the 15th of February of 2011. And as soon as he saw me, I had gotten the news on the 14th, around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Your brother, my father, came the voice from the other side. My niece was calling me. He's in the hospital. He just suffered an aneurysm. He cannot move. And as I immediately ran to Puerto Rico and I went to that room, and he saw me, he started crying. And I looked at him and I said, I did not come here to cry. I came here because in eight days I have to return to New Jersey. And when I leave you, I'm going to leave you walking, speaking in your house. And I spent every single day with him in the room. I bathed him. I covered him. I protected him. I spoke to him. I laughed with him. I sang to him. I played music to him. I did everything. But on that Monday, and I got there one Monday, the following Monday, I was with him in a car taking him home, and he was walking on his two feet. (laughs) You want to be known as a person with a bad back? Marry it. You want to be known as a person with poverty? Marry it. You want to be known as a person who could not pass that other test, that exam, that bar, whatever it was, The person that did not dare to open the business because the finances are so bad. The person who did not take the challenge of ministry. You want to do that? You want to keep on with the history? You want to keep on begging? While others are walking and enjoying their life in Christ. That's not me. And that's not the call today. The call today is for people who are unsatisfied. The call today is for people that could see the promises. And the promises are always in him. Yes and amen.